0: Ugh, okay. Um, I hate when my fucking phone rings. I'm trying to make sure that doesn't happen. Turn it off. Turn my phone off. Get my phone. Put it on airplane mode. Hello everyone, San Francisco, and everyone else who may be listening. This is KXSF L P and KXSF LP San Francisco. Gotta make sure I get that one right. You are listening to Fifth Wave Radio, Queerly Drinking, and I am Pamela Bush. And I'm very excited today. We have a great guest. Joining us, Mariam Ahmed, who is a Napa-based food and wine entrepreneur and the co-founder of Diversity and Wine Leadership Forum. So we'll be getting to that in a minute or so. And I just wanted to give a shout out to the Golden State Warriors who actually played really well last night. And you might be thinking, wait, this is a show about feminism. Why are we talking about like a male sports team? Well, I do believe that we can talk, we can be feminist and we can also applaud excellence in diff, in other ways. And I do feel that as far as the major sports leagues are concerned, the NBA is, I'd say the, well, the least of the evils. Uh, and, and actually I think does a lot of good. So uh, it's always great to see Clay Thompson playing well again, and hopefully Steph will get out of the slump and uh, yeah. That was just kind of, that was, that was nice last It definitely made my evening. So uh, we'll be back in just a quick minute. We're going to have uh, a quick PSA for everyone. And then we will get to the interview with Mariam. And that was just DJ Hangster, who was here before me. Always such a pleasure to come in. I try to get here usually about 30 minutes early and there's always great tunes going on and uh, we always get a chance to chat a little bit. So uh, with no ado though, let's get to our interview. As mentioned, we are today, we are very excited to have Mary Ahmed, Ahmed who is a food and wine entrepreneur in Napa, California. And she specializes in community activation, strategic programs, and project management for food and wine brands with a demonstrated commitment to diversity and sustainability. I am going to let her speak for herself, though. Instead of me reading her bio, which is very well written, but I think that she can give everyone out there a much better idea of who she is. She's doing really great stuff in the wine industry and beyond. So, Miriam, it's a pleasure to have you here. Can you hear me?
1: I can. Thank you, Pamela.
0: Of course. Can you hear me? I can hear you perfectly. Great. Uh, yeah. Well, thanks so much for being here. really appreciate it. And as I, I said, I would love to hear you talk about yourself. So can you tell our, our listeners who you are? Sure. I'll
1: try. Uh, hello, listeners. As Pamela said, my name is Mariam Ahmed. I'm a Napa-based food and wine entrepreneur. My day-to-day focus is working with wineries and wine organizations to create educational series or conferences or panels that will either inform their audience, whether that be their consumer or their employee on something new or something existing that they want to bring light to. And I spend a fair amount of time within that work, really focusing on diversity and sustainability initiatives, specifically in the wine industry, but incorporating what's going on in the world too
0: great so and we'll we'll definitely get to that because i do want to talk about that some more especially as you said what's going on in the world and how much so much of that how that impacts the work the work that we do but you and i had a we we're talking a few days ago too and about how who we are and the work that we do is influenced by is influenced by the way we grew up it's influenced mm-hmm. by you know we we bring we bring who we are as people at all of our experiences to what we're doing. And to our, you, you can't say, well, we totally separate our personal life from our work life because our work life is going to be influenced to some degree by your personal life. Uh, so would do you wanna talk about that a little bit and how your background has influenced the work that you do and, and your perceptions? Sure. Well, I,
1: I have always been the organizer. <laughs> Of everything for as long as I can remember. I uh, probably some of that stems from personality, and some of that stems from being the oldest of four. I, I had a really unique uh, family dynamic growing up, but I have three sisters who are uh, adopted, and um, we are all various shades of brown and beautiful, beautiful uh, girls. And it was just a special way to grow up because there was really only the conversation of, of people and what we were feeling and what we had all experienced kind of coming together. And my mom was very adamantly one of those mothers who, who you know we got we got away with a lot, but you couldn't get away with missing dinner with everybody at the table. And so there was this one unifying thing every single day with all of us, all of us having our own experiences. Um, but I think it definitely built me into the woman that I am, and and frankly, probably the leader and listener that I am. I think anyone with a lot of siblings could say the same about where you take up space and how. <laughs> but I, I definitely give that credit for the work that I do and, and, and why I love what I do. Definitely.
0: Yeah. So, okay. Was your mom a good cook? Oh no. She,
1: she, know. I just was like, she's going to know what I'll say. My mom was a really great cook of things of specific things. Okay. And I learned variety when I got to college, um, but she did certain things really well. And the think she did really well, you know, I can still smell like that memory, but she would grow a lot of herbs in the garden and then make her own pesto or, um, you know, basically like go th- she would even make chana masala that my grandmother taught her how to make after she had met my dad and so like she did a lot of great things well but there were some, there were staples for sure we were yep. there were a lot of us running around you know and she was full time so we got good meals <laughs> i'm not did, complaining did you cook when you were growing up not really i didn't really know that was a, a like a thing that you could do i i didn't realize it until i got into until i got my first job, which was a pizza girl. And I couldn't believe that they gave me the job. because I'd never really touched food once in my life. (laughs) And just so happened. I turned out to be, to be good at it because I got when in that job, I like would run, you run the whole shop. So you are required to multitask, do all the things, make all the food, take the orders, just the small little pizza shop. And that's really where I was I was 16, it was where I realized I really enjoyed that work. Like the shifts would fly by. And I ended up, you know, going to school for it after that. So
0: Yeah, I guess because like you work in the food industry. Yeah. Uh I mean I I'm more of a wine industry person but I've had wine bars restaurants and I, th- I think uh, yeah. whenever I tell when people ask like how do you learn about wine and one of the first things I always tell people is to cook mm, or yeah. and 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 to and to smell things you know like you were saying your mom had a garden where so you have all these herbs that you could smell like that is just the most that's the best way to learn and yeah. to, to get an intuitive sense about learning about food and, and about wine is, sure. is to be around it. And I think if you're around it when you're younger, uh, you know, it's just, it's, it just kind of becomes second nature to you.
1: Yeah. I think like there's a relatability there too, for a lot of us, if you've had experience in food, I remember I was I had just been introduced to wine as a social thing through friends of mine in high school who were Italian and they had an aroma wheel and I'd never seen an aroma wheel before, but the concept of there are things there, there are like, um, elements of this wine that you can sense in food and vice versa. was like an aha moment for me at a pretty young, pretty young age. But if you have that food background or that, that
0: sense, there's some relatability for sure. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Well, so how did you, okay, you went to, you went, what did you study in college? I, I studied hotel management. Okay. And that was at Cornell, right? Yeah. Okay. So you, you were, you kind of knew that at that point that you were going to be heading in this direction. Of course, people mm-hmm. change their mind, but you, you, you know, you've, you've stayed on that track. Mm-hmm. And then, so afterward, how did, what made you decide to go into like, becoming a consultant to food and wine companies, uh, specifically, and then also how, why you decided to really make diversity your, you know, the, the, your strong
1: suit. Sure. I, I mean, <clears throat> kind of like backing up a little bit. I went to school because I wanted to really know how to run events. Like I, I was very much the glue in a lot of senses. And I got to school and figured out that I could cook and figured out that wine was an option. I I really did not want to fulfill a corporate internship when I was at school. I, I, I was a little overwhelmed. I'd never been exposed to that before growing up. And so I ended up going to a winery about six miles from campus and asking them, begging them, can I have an internship? And they were, and I was like, I've already designed it. Look, I'll just come and work here. And they they hired me. And that that internship got me an internship at a distributor. And then that distributor moved me to New York City. And New York City got me to meeting producers that were coming from the West Coast. And I started thinking, oh my gosh, I, I'm on the wrong side of this equation. The West Coast life sounds so much better than New York Winters. And I, you know, literally packed up my stuff and I moved to Walla Walla, Washington, to get my winemaking degree. But the the reason behind that decision was was that I was learning I could teach really well and that I enjoyed teaching. While I was in New York City, through all the staff and um, sales education that we would offer, and I thought I can help solve a market problem in teaching winemakers and wineries how to communicate to their staff and to their consumer um, a little bit differently, maybe more creatively, maybe more thoroughly. And so I did that while I went to winemaking school to learn their language too. And all of that sort of landed me at this moment of sort of fate in that the Culinary Institute of America had purchased the CIA copia in downtown Napa and had big plans to open that building to the consumer and they needed someone to come in who would be able to grow what was existing to what it, it it was when i left and i thought what a great career opportunity and i i moved to napa and in the work that i did at the cia i was I've always been this at heart but I was able to be entrepreneurial and basically you know say we can offer these amazing programs maybe it's it's about making fresh cheese or maybe it's about cooking with plant forward items but like hopefully it's changing people it's exciting people and in that can we also teach them to be conscious home cooks or conscious wine drinkers and when I would write programs how can I make sure that we're creating representation in what we're offering to and for people but as the CIA. And that just sort of really like, I took that with me as far as principle to, to Merriam and Company when I started. It's been a very important part of my work from the beginning really. <laughs> So when when did you start Merriam and Company? Twenty twenty. Good timing. <laughs> it was great. I was I was um, at the CIA for almost five years, and I I loved it. I just you know was starting to kind of prepare for what might be the next chapter. And lucky for me, um, I had had some conversations, and I had I had made some preliminary like plans and created a vision for what I wanted to be able to do as a consultant. And so I was a little bit prepared. Um, by comparison, I think, to some some other folks, especially in the consulting world. And and then also, I learned extremely rapidly how to adapt to the needs of a virtual world. And that saved probably my business in the
0: beginning. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure. Has any of your, have you been doing any in-person meetings or are you still working mostly virtually? You know, I've done a few.
1: It's all hyper-local, nothing, nothing, <laughs> you know, that I'm flying far away for. But the hybrid model and the virtual model are still well employed at the moment, unfortunately, but you know, there are, there are positives to it that we get to have more people present for a lot of the programs that we're doing of impact. And that makes a difference.
0: So since you started your business there, you have, there's been obviously the COVID pandemic. And then Mm -hmm. in the summer of 2020, there was sort of this great awakening Mm -hmm. uh, when it comes to racial issues. When I say great awakenings, I should say that in quotations because for many people in this country it was not a great awakening. It's like this is the way things have always been. But for for many people, and I'd say for corporate America at least, there was sort of this you know great awakening uh, to do something. And uh, how would I would imagine that for you that would have been a a great. And I, I don't say this in an in that you were doing anything in an exploitive way, but it was a great a business opportunity for you. With virtue, yeah. the kind of work you do, that you have the you have the experience and the skills and, and the knowledge, where there's a lot that you could have brought to many wine businesses that really we you know we're looking for ways to to create diversity and and inclusion and to some extent, I, I almost I feel like these terms are almost so performative to say it, but for lack of a be, for lack of better words.
1: Yeah. I mean, there was a gap for sure. You know, there was, I had created this company. I had created the type, been clear about the type of work that I wanted to do. And it so happened that pretty much within months of starting the business, there was a huge need that I was wanting to fulfill anyway. But I I do remember early on, I was speaking with someone in, in corporate and they told me, that they thought that it was risky for me to say that I wanted to serve customers or clients that had a committed uh, had already made a commitment to diversity and sustainability that it was too risky and and too niche and I remember thinking I'm confused, but I am not going to move on this. And while you are coming at me from a corporate, what would be potentially viewed as a very high level success and achievement, I know what I can do and how I can serve. And I know also that there is a need. And and then I I stuck with it. (laughs) But, you know, just even then to hear that, you know, from people was a very clear indication of where a lot of the wine industry at least was on those issues
0: well so why do, you, why do you think this person said to you that it was risky
1: because they're uncomfortable because they don't understand their privilege and they don't understand what they don't know and that's that's unfortunately where some some of us still find ourselves today and I, I say ourselves but i'm just saying i think some of the wine industry is still there today um you know, next, next week is Black History Month. And I, I anecdotally know that, that somehow that's catching people by surprise. And that's, that's tough two years in to the awakening that you mentioned earlier.
0: Yeah. And okay. So it's Black History Month is starting next week. And, you know, the, the week, the month after that March is Women's History Month. And I have mixed, personally, I have mixed feelings about it because on one hand, yes, it's good. It's good because at least it does raise awareness, but shouldn't every, month be black history Month, should every month be women's history yeah. month. So, but I, I understand what you're saying. <laughs> uh, I, but I, I think that, do you find that with some of your clients that if you, the ones that you have who are willing to, let's say go there, mm-hmm. that they're willing to accept that the wine industry, just because that there's so much embedded white supremacy and that there is so much embedded patriarchy in like, it's not just the wine industry, but it certainly is the, is the wine industry too. Do you find that that your your corporate clients are willing to recognize that and really yeah. get to the root of it?
1: I do. I Truth be told, I mean, I'm very clear in, in who I accept as a client um, it, that you have to have demonstrated commitment. Even if you're early, you will have to come to me with a plan you already have in place toward diversity and sustainability. So Even in just saying that in an ideal world, I am so magnetic as a consultant that if they're not there yet, I can provide resources and they can get there and come back in six months. And therefore then we are already impacting or creating change. But with the clients who I do sign, a lot of why they work with me is because I have the ability to be in addition to the the programming side and the creation side i can also offer accountability consulting because of my background in diversity equity inclusion and and sustainability all one thing but we keep them separate for some reason still so i you know i i think that corporate knows they at least have to acknowledge there is a problem or there has been a problem and in that you figure out who is willing to do the work and and You also have to create expectations for them that the work is not one hour long or a three hour seminar long, that there are
0: things that we will have to do continuously to create change with the work that you do with your, your corporate clients. And I guess uh, how many of them are up in Napa or Um, let's
1: say
0: the California wine country? A fair amount.
1: I would, I mean, for me, my markets are New York, Washington, and California. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I would say probably um, in any given month, I'm working at least 60% California.
0: So do you incorporate environmental issues, uh a- a- environmental issues both in in the sense of of ecology and regenerative viticulture, as well as uh like environmental justice. Do you incorporate that into the work that you do? I do. Um, a lot of the, that work that I provide
1: is more on like, uh, like for instance, working on certifications and working and offering um, like an advisory position for myself anyway, to be on those certification developments. But for my work, um, a lot of what I'm doing is specific to social justice with, of course, continually trying to explain that environmental justice is social justice. And how does that go over? Um, It's harder. It's harder for people. We've been greenwashed for a long time, right? It's harder for people to understand that a sustainable business includes the sustainability of the people of that business because they're so used to what's, what's in the dirt, you know? And I love dirt. Don't get me wrong. Big dirt fan.
0: Well, yeah, it's so, well, but that's the thing. It's like, what is in the dirt is, it's this, it's this own universe. And it will, if we, if we sort of leave it alone, mm-hmm. it, know, it knows what to do. Mm-hmm. It's just that it's when you, you start putting all these other things into the dirt that all of the problems are created and, it's, and the problems created, not just for, you know, for the soil, but for, but the, for the people exactly. and, the, and yeah. sometimes the the product itself. Yeah. 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 I mean, I just, I find that very, I, I just, I'm, and I know you're there talking to these people all the time, but just from my bird's eye view, as I look at it, I think, wow, there's such a disconnect. I mean, I yeah. even see a disconnect where, where people are like, oh yeah, we grow organically. Okay. You're growing organically, but there's still a whole lot that's not really happening here. Like there's, there's not a whole lot. You're, there's nothing really being done to create balance. You're just not put, there's just not. Synthetic inputs going to the soil, which of course is a good first step. But right. then it's but then it's also making the connection of okay, you're not doing that. So at least the workers are not having to spray roundup. Okay, that's that's great. But then there's like everything else that goes into it. And and another issue you know, up in in the wine country is also how it's affecting the people around. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, like there's this great water shortage, and that is having a really profound impact. On the lower income communities and the marginalized communities. So, mm-hmm. do, do, does do you ever does that ever come up in your work?
1: A, a, a lot of that comes up in work with clients who have an established full time team, mm-hmm. um, especially when it comes to their vineyard and/or agricultural management. So, it, it really depends. I mean, I could just sort of draw a parallel here. Of you're right, being organic is a great is a great first step. You know, or farming organically, because I think it's important to make the distinction being organic and farming organically. The distinction being you're farming organically, but you are not certified by label, uh, which can be very expensive and prohibitive for small farmers and producers. But, um, you know, farming organically is step one, just like doing a DEI seminar is step one or -hmm. acknowledging there's a problem. But, yeah, there's going to be more to it than that. Yeah.
0: There's more we can do. Yeah. So we need to take a quick break, but uh, we'll get back to this when we come back. You're listening to LP in San Francisco. The show is Fifth Wave Radio Queerly Drinking. This is Pamela Bush. And my guest is Mariam Ahmed, who is the co-founder of Diversity and Wine Leadership Forum. And we're going to talk about that in a few minutes when we get back. On AXSF 22.5 FM San Francisco is presented by Zoom. This is Alan from Mutuals. In the music biz, they tell you to be nice to the people you meet on the way up because you'll see them again on the way down. Until we hit a big, we rely on independent stations like KXSF. So donate now at kxsf.fm to keep community ready. we're back this is fifth web radio slash queerly drinking on kxsflp san francisco i am pamela bush and my guest Maryam is mariam ahmed who is the owner of mariam and company we were just discussing her, her firm her company consulting company where she works with different wine businesses in california washington and new york and we she is also the founder or one of the founders of the Diversity in Wine Leadership Forum, and I know that's how I know you is is through that work. So uh, I'd love to hear about what made you start that, and if you could tell your tell the listeners also, you know, what the Diversity in Wine Leadership Forum does.
1: Sure. So as you mentioned before the break, 2020 was a moment of awakening for many people, not everyone, but for many people. And there was a very important period of time where the wine industry got very on board with the movement and many organizations were created though. Many already did exist as well. The Vanguard being one of them, but we, uh, Personally, I saw the sheer number of initiatives being launched, uh, aiming to fix the diversity and equity issues within the wine industry, whether that be through educational access or mentorship programs or however they, they structured their programs, there was just a high volume. And I... Having had worked for a, a nonprofit for five years and having served on several boards, was just thinking in my mind: the top minds in DEI in the wine industry are creating these organizations that are so paramount, but that will be a lot of work and will be like sometimes straining and hard. <laughs> and they need a place to be able to come together to talk about. What, what it is they're trying to accomplish and how, as well as to be able to co-create some solutions and collaborate so that as an industry, we're, we're changing faster than if we were doing it on our own and as single organizations. And so I called a friend of mine, Elaine Shukan Brown and asked them, can you see the vision in this idea? Can we get everybody in a room, as many as possible in a room, to talk about this idea of twice a year coming together, no matter your fundraising goal? no matter your grassroots level or your international impact so that we can continue to push the needle on change within the industry. And Elaine immediately said, I think this is a, a great idea and we can get, we can make this happen and I'd like to help. And so we launched in 2020 uh, with our first forum and we had, tw- I think 10 organizations present. And then six months later we had 14 And we just continue to grow the forum and offer a biannual opportunity for leaders of these orgs to get together and talk through some of the challenges they're facing and problem solve together and create bonds because this work is hard and this work is is continuous and, and it's personal too. In addition to the forum, we also offer wine facing, like wine industry facing education. So what that means is, well, the wine industry has recognized there's a problem. Now what? And there was a lack of wine-specific DEI training available. So I partnered with Dr. Akila Kaday, who's based in Oakland. Her company is called Change Kaday, and we we are offering uh, what is called Do the Work series, and that's a three-part series that allows wine industry professionals and in trade to come in and take um, a three-part course on power and privilege and Becoming an accomplice and the anti-racism journey, so that people have tools to improve, you know, their workplaces and and then hopefully to you know continue to support and bolster these organizations and the work that they're doing. And then the last part of the forum is we we are a central resource. So as you know, we have a list of centralized organizations and just in one place so that you can see what everyone is working on. Because while we are all trying to make a more diverse and equitable Industry, we are all doing it somewhat differently, and I think just having that all in one place is really helpful for people looking for opportunities as well as looking for ways to support these initiatives.
0: So, and you said you you have a forum coming up as well. Yes, February twenty
1: eighth.
0: And if so, if like, is the public able to view that or, or participate? So the
1: forum is for the leaders of orgs, but, um, we do have the open do the work series that starts in April. The first one is April 11th and that's, uh, all that information is available on my website. Um, and the tickets are actually open now for that series. It's a one, one session, April, May, and June.
0: Okay. And if somebody, if people want to sign up for that, yep. where, how, where should they go?
1: They can go to mariamandcompany.com. It's M-A-R-Y-A-M and company.com.
0: As, and as an app or stamp, right? Well, when you have to spell it out in a URL, it's okay. at okay. A-N-D. Okay. It's at yeah. A-N-D, okay. All right, great. So just one more time, if anyone wants, wants to get on to Budima, it's...
1: Yeah, mariamandcompany.com, m a r y a m a n d c o m p a n
0: y Okay, cool. Thank you. So, you know, I know there, there's the work that you're doing. There is the work that the, the Vanguard's been doing. There's the work other organizations are doing. Uh, last month, this, we're in January. Yeah. Okay. So, so it was, yeah, in December, I had a little forum here on the show with mm-hmm. several, there were six different wine industry professionals and it was sexism in the wine industry Post me too. Mm-hmm. And we had a conversation about how much things have or have not changed, and pretty much the general consensus is that things haven't changed that much. Mm-hmm. That a lot of the bad behavior, and this was specifically sexism. Okay, uh, they're still going on. Uh, the it's I I I do know that there have been efforts made on some in some places, and I would say the improvements that I see on the gender front are that there are just let's say in the bay area there are more women on businesses than there were let's say 4 years ago so it, it it's not necessarily that the people who were you know the, the bad actors the male bad actors before have changed their ways it's just that they i don't think they hold as much power as they used to because now there are other people who are getting into it anyway that's just what came out of that conversation what what's your take on that um on sexism specifically that, yeah let's just let's do sexism uh, but I also want to address racism and other forms of marginalization. Sure. Well, um, I mean, at, from
1: from a woman's standpoint, I you hear a lot about a lot of initiatives from, from my consulting. This is like my consulting hat. You hear about a lot of things going on, but the incremental measurement is what's important. So talking about doing something, AKA being performative is far different than actually doing it. This goes across the, the diversity spectrum. We're not just talking about sexism. I think one area that I do see a fair amount of sexism still happening, a lot of sexism happening is actually in, in how we gender people. So, you know, female or male or non-binary is a concept that is still difficult um and is a conversation that needs to be continually had especially in the wine space so I think that there is inherent sexism built into our day-to-day even even with something that should be simple like pronouns right and like not misgendering people um, through assumption but I think to specifically women. Um, I can only speak anecdotally that yes, I have women in my life who are still experiencing challenges from whether it be from a harassment standpoint, but also from a, from a leadership and finding a voice, you know, there's, there's plenty of room for improvement, I think, in both of those categories still in the wine industry.
0: Well, so I'm not going to ask you to Uh, point fingers or and especially I know that you work with a lot of companies so Mm -hmm. uh, but as far as the work that you've been doing do you see where gender you know issues related to gender are are starting to get be taken more seriously than than they were
1: yeah you know it's funny because when you first asked me the question I thought this is going to be tough to answer because I'm working with clients who acknowledge that there's an issue and have done some work. So there should, there better be change. Of my clients, I I am thinking right now, I I work with senior level women most of the time that are spearheading these initiatives, which we can talk about, but that are in leadership positions to do so, that have the budgets to do so.
0: Well, do you mind talking about some of the initiatives? I mean, like, I don't know, well, if, if you can, just, just let's say if there are some initiatives or just generally speaking, uh, sp- things that, that are happening that you find are really impressive and that actually might really move the needle.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think when it comes to my work, I mean, I'm always thoroughly impressed when we have our first sit down and, you know, they're. with, with, this is what we've done so far. We know it's imperfect. We know we need to fix it, but we need to, we need help in the accountability realm. And also we acknowledge that what we've done to this point is not enough. You know, I mean, that's, that's a big piece of the pie because you can't convince someone who doesn't think that anything is wrong, that something's wrong. So, you know, the work, I mean, specifically this is around a, a lot of people are, that I work with, they do not want to say something and then not, actually do it. So people who are putting out campaigns, which is, you know, I think something that we're seeing everywhere, what's performative and what's real, but anyone who's creating a campaign or a product launch or finding ways to reach new communities, they have to do so in an appropriate way. And in a way that shows that they are, are aware, no matter when they became aware, but that they're and they and they're going to be doing better that's where I'm spending most of my time. And a lot of those decision makers are women that I'm working with.
0: And, and, but are they, uh, here, are they given real power, though, to do something?
1: Well, everything that I'm doing doesn't go through a ring, like a, a multiple rings of approval. I mean, I'm so my inclination is to say yes, but I am also speaking for a small group of organizations and companies that, like I said, are already on their way. Mm-hmm. So I don't know that I can make a sweeping statement about other orgs that I'm, I'm not on the inside of um, as far as the power held. I mean, I can speak from experience having worked at multiple large organizations that sometimes you have the power that you're supposed to have and sometimes you don't. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah, because like I hear about friends who let's say work in different sectors and some of the things they go through and where, you know, it, there's sort of like the person who's front facing, who is female, but then all the decisions, the real decisions are being made and I mean real decisions, the ones yeah, are are being made, let's say, by a board or for something else, where it's mostly men.
1: Yeah, men. well, I mean, there's certain simple, very simple things, even not at the decision-making level. I'm a partner in a majority and a woman woman-owned company as well as my own company, and um, even in even in going and looking for office space, we have a man who is a partner as well, um, but is not the majority owner, and um, more often than not, people will address him first. Like these are just very simple things that you don't we are walking around making assumptions mm-hmm. that are sexist.
0: So so let, let me ask you something because since you brought that up. As part of your work, do you address the issues like that about making about making assumptions and how I mean there, there are there's so many assumptions that are made about people based on gender, based on race, based yeah. on based on age.
1: Well, yeah. I mean, that just goes to speaking to, we have to all understand what our bias is. Why, why, why do we think the guy that's with us is the one that's the owner? Yeah. Well, how do we adjust for that as a, as our own selves before we go into the next meeting? Mm-hmm. I mean, you have to come from, that's an individual bias, mm-hmm. right. That's happening. Um, so yeah, I mean, I do, I can do work in that space as well. Um, I don't have to do as much as you would think um, which is good. <laughs>
0: yeah. Well, so, okay, so when it, let's say when it comes to race, do you feel like that there's been, there really has been a you know, a noticeable shift, not just in you know, the performative measures, but but as far as like what some of the companies you work with and not just those you work with, but it's just from what you, you see, do you feel like there's, there's really been a shift in policy? And and culture, because you know you could shift your policy, but if you don't really change the culture, you're just going to end up falling back on, on the same old bad habits.
1: Yeah, I mean definitely, and you have to understand that these things do take t- these take time. You have to be aggressive, especially if you're start you know you're starting from 0 you We've got to get moving on the on these things, but they do take time. I think that a lot of the organizations that participate in the Diversity and wine Leadership Forum, for example have created a ton of access points and resources for people who think that there are no people of color or diverse candidates available to their company because they've never recruited in those areas before, or they haven't spoken in a way that seems welcoming to those communities. Um, But I see that there is an opportunity, there is a change in people who are receiving positions. I mean, again, this, this is data even from the forum and people who have access to education, but where we get hung up and where this actually really, what it really comes down to is policy happens at the top. Policy and culture comes from the top as it is in America with hierarchy and, and many other ca- and capitalist countries basically, right? Power comes from the top. So if You're telling me that you're a diverse company because your tasting room is full of staff members of across the diversity spectrum, pouring wine and educating people. Then you have a diverse company, but not an equitable one, because all I have to do is go one level up, levels up and diversity there. Then you're not running an equitable company. And then you're not also changing your culture and inviting new perspectives and creativity into your leadership.
0: Yeah, I, I, and I think that's something you know. I hear that, and just from other people who say, "Well, yeah," there's sort of where again, where decisions are being made, where the power is. There's not necessarily as much of a change, and and that's not to say I think that's entirely true. I do see where, come there are some companies that are starting to think about not just diversity but about equity, Mm -hmm. and and how like that. The the only way to really change it is to is to create a more equitable power structure. Right. You know? And that may even be like where the workers and people who are in the tasting room actually do have a say in the way mm-hmm. the, the company is run too. Uh, right. So,
1: well, and yeah. that's like just kind of looking at a little bit of a dismantling of the hierarchy anyway. Yeah. What are you, what are you missing out on by not including those people in some of the key decisions or brand decisions that you're making? They're talking yeah. to your customer every day.
0: Right. Well, so okay, so we've talked about we've talked about gender and we've talked about race, but there are, as we know, there are many different forms of marginalizations, and I think two that our industry is starting to pay a little bit more attention to, but but not enough, are age and ability.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: Do you now with with are you working mostly with wineries and distributors? Mostly with wineries and wine organizations or associations. So do you find that that is something that is that is on people's radar, like the, the idea of age and ages. And like I have friends who are in their 70s and mm-hmm. they feel at this point that even if they still, let's say, have a job, that they're, they're just no one really listens to them. You know, they feel like they were dismissed. You know mm-hmm. that if you basically if you're over a lot of times if you're if you're if you're a female and you're over 50 is where you start to feel like you just, you're just less important, you know, than important. And if you're male, maybe, you know, maybe you have a few more years on you, on But so is that, that's something that you have found is, is that becoming part of your work?
1: Um, I think that it's a part of the work. Absolutely. I think I see some shifts, you know, you talk about the controversies of the pressure to be on the lists of the youngest people accomplishing things, you know, 30 under 30, 40 under 40 and we go on and on and every year everyone is always like where's the 50 over 50 you know and why aren't we celebrating differently than we have I mean we've been forced into this um mindset of like younger is better and um also this mindset of that that just because someone isn't as familiar with the way let's say like my uh, like a a program works doesn't mean they can't comp- bring a completely like imperative and exciting perspective to an offer but we aren't taught that so we have to unlearn things that we've been taught for a very long time and unfortunately that is costly to the you know to your point the women over 50 or just anyone who would be considered of an age that is no longer you know invited into the conversation. Um, but that's, that's again, another bias we have to, we all have to work on and be aware of. Yeah. Um, As far as wineries go, I just, you know, I, in, in Napa, I'm just going off of like, anecdotally what I see, we see a wide range of folks working in the tasting room again, you know, but that's, like also not representative of every, every area of a winery, you know?
0: Yeah, sometimes I'll, I'll notice, and granted it's been, it's been a while since I've been to a tasting room, but sometimes I would go to tasting rooms and you see older people in tasting rooms and it's kind of like, oh, well that's the retirement job, you know? And so there, I think that it, it's also the, the winery should be creating a culture where everyone who works there, like there's a level of respect. Mm-hmm. and i and I can say from both as a wine professional and from the point of view as a consumer I feel like I, do, I haven't seen that that happening enough but I, I do want to talk about disability too mm-hmm. because especially with wineries and you were talking about cost you know to make a a winery to make a tasting room ada compliant there is a cost that goes with that mm-hmm. and I think you know it's it's law where you you have to but yeah I, I think that you know, people who have different disabilities you know, might also think of something like winemaking making as a job that requires a lot of physical ability and yeah you know, that's while there that's true to a, a degree who's to say that you can't make wine if you know if you're not if you have mo- mobility mm-hmm. issues uh, you know, like Yannick Benjamin in New York, he's opened up this restaurant mm-hmm. you know, completely, you know, totally for people that is completely accessible for people with different you know, levels of, of ability. Yeah. Then, uh, you know, he's someone who's a sommelier who had, you know, when he was in his twenties, was in a car accident that's left him, you know, partially paralyzed. Uh, and, but I think what he's done is great because I think he, he's shown like, yes, this is possible. But do you see where there's a mindset that the mindset is shifting Amongst, uh, in wineries especially that yeah you could make wine even if you are restricted to being in a wheelchair you know, somebody mm. can make wine you know if if you're visually impaired mm-hmm. have do you find that anyone is talking about this or that there is interest in this
1: yeah well I have to shout out Benjamin or Yannick because I went to the um restaurant when I was back in New York and it was absolutely amazing but the food, the service, hospitality, and everything, but the joy in the room was un- unparalleled. I hadn't been to a meal like that in New York in obviously many years. Um, and I will. I wish I could name more, but I will name an example of a place. Um, there is a, a winery in in Walla Walla, Washington, Valdemar Estates, and they are very um, very involved in creating a more accessible workplace, not just an accessible tasting room or experience, which is for sure part of it, but also in how the seller can adapt for, for persons with disabilities and how they can make it possible for people to find a job they love. And if that's the work that goes into winemaking, then, then that's wonderful. And they have adapted tours, um, as well. So that the seller is, is ADA compliant, but how they also, um, work on visual impairment as as well. So, um, I do think there are more than that example doing it, but I think that it is again, you know, a slow change. Definitely. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Go ahead, Pamela. No, 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 go ahead. I could just like keep, you know, rattling on here, but I would just, you know, this work, it's, there's so many, there's so much nuance in the wine industry. Like some of these people are running, are are growing grapes and making wine on their farm or their family property that's not been developed, you know? And so this is, this is another consideration that we have, we have to understand where this, these changes are possible fastest that can kind of bring everyone up, you know?
0: Yeah. Okay. We need to take a quick break. We'll be back in just a minute. So we are back. You're listening to KXSF LP in San Francisco. This is Pamela Bush, and my guest is Mariam Ahmad, who is the founder of Diversity in Wine Leadership Forum, and also is one of the, I guess, the owner, one of the owners of Mariam and Company, uh, which is a consulting company in, based in, in Napa County. So Thank you for being here, Mariam, again. I really appreciate your time. It's This has been a good discussion. And I feel like I have these discussions with people quite a bit. And the, the question is, well, I was like, we could talk about this, but really what is the impact that we're having? So mm-hmm. like, I know about the work you're doing. I know about the work that some other people are doing. Uh, I know for sure what my organization, the Vanguard does. And yeah, you know, I do, but I wonder, like, I, I feel like, okay, with, with some of the stuff that Vingar does, I can see the impact that, it had, that it's had. Uh, but, the, but I also wonder, like, how, beyond sort of our own little sphere of the wine industry, how much of an impact do you feel that, we, that we're having? I mean, I have my answer for this, but I, I'd like to hear yours. <laughs> okay, but you're going to give your answer, right? If I'm forced, yes. Oh, okay. Well, I sure. want to know how far off. I might be or okay, how no. close we are. I, well, there's, there's no wrong answer here. It's, you know, <laughs> it's all a matter of perception.
1: Well, I mean, the thing is is wine is this quintessential social ingredient, not for a, uh, the masses, right? It's a pretty small segment by by consumer uh, consumption, basically, but it is a throughway to conversation about a lot more. It's a conversation about food and agriculture culture, art, music. And I think where we hit that intersection, you see change. You see TV shows featuring Black wine drinkers. You see uh, bilingual programs offered through, you know, the Hispanics and Wine Organization. You start to see these, these changes happening in a much, let's just say more, more like global or national level that have wine at the center. And I think that is impactful. I I really do. And I think it's been a slow come up, but there's so much happening now with, with wine and it's, and it's life partner food that there's a lot of things to be excited about. Um, and I think, also, because wine can be aspirational, we have a responsibility to show that a luxury good can, you know, what is considered a luxury good, regardless of what the price of the bottle is, but by many, right, a luxury good to show what impact, like to, to show where we think we need to put energy. And so therefore, it could be a leader in saying we need to fix a lack of equity in, in this space. And hopefully there's trickle down in other agricultural areas, in other, in other workplaces, et cetera. Um, I think wine is uniquely positioned that way as a consumer good.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I think that to the extent, I mean, kind of my answer to this is like the general, generally speaking, to the extent that wine is, is visible, that it, it can have an impact. Whereas if you go into a tasting room, a wine shop, a wine bar, and you see diversity, yeah, I think that it definitely can have, you know, an, an impact. I mean, everything that we were talking before about bias, that is, that's that so much of that is subconscious, and it's mm-hmm. something that's that's just like, you know, that's just hammered into people when they're young, and mm-hmm. it's very hard, as you said, to unlearn that. But yeah, just sometimes it's almost like a, could be almost like a subliminal thing or not where if you just see more diversity around you, that starts to become part of, of your consciousness. So I think in that sense, yes. I, I think that also, as far as what different organizations are doing, the work you're doing, the work I'm doing, the work, you know, many others are doing. I do think that we, we are having, a, having impacts within our, our own little spheres and that re, can re, really reverberate out a lot too. But sometimes... And I know this from you know, having spent years doing organizational work is that you, it's, you're not going to see that impact right away as mm-hmm. something that happens. I mean, honestly, I could see the impact of things that I was doing five years ago now. Yeah. You know, I mean, and yeah, so I think you just have to be patience, patient, you know, to see yeah. that. Yeah. Um, you have to celebrate the small stuff,
1: but you have to keep going.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it, it, exactly, and and also realize that like the work doesn't stop, right? You know, mm-hmm. it's like you know you may you may have your little victories along the way, but like they're fuel, uh, they're fuel for the next stop, and then the yeah, ne- and then you keep going, and yeah, absolutely, yeah. absolutely. So we have uh, have a, just a few minutes left, but I, how do you feel about that? Because we mentioned this earlier, but how are we impacted by the world around us? I mean, right now we're living, you know, we've had this this crazy pandemic for two years. uh, You know, that has just, and a a lot of people in the wine industry have have done quite well because of the pandemic, but a lot of people haven't. And a Mm -hmm. lot of people have lost their employment. I mean, there are cases where, you know, companies like wine companies have done extremely well, but they haven't needed as much labor. So there's been this even like greater income divide. And so, yeah, there's that fact. And then there's sort of like, so everything that else is going on around us as we're talking about a di- justice, diversity equity and inclusion, we are also dealing with a, a very large segment of the country that has become very vocal in their antipathy toward equity and inclusion and diversity mm-hmm. and people who have who've become very emboldened in you know in expressing you know h- their hate yeah. so how like how has that affected you, and uh, yeah, and like you uh, personally and professionally. Um, what a
1: question! I know. Um,
0: I know. well, okay, and I, I mean, here's a, the, the 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 secret here is that if we need to run a few minutes over, we actually can because I have the <laughs> next hour anyway. Um, so so don't feel like you you need to fit this into thirty seconds. Okay. I, I want, uh-huh. I want, no, honestly, take your time and it. Take your time and answer it as much as honestly and as thoroughly as, as you care to. I think what, I mean,
1: from a personal standpoint, because I, I think first of all, we separate personal and professional far too much. And even, even though of course I own my own business, it may be easier said than done to bring my personal into my professional. It's an important element of DEI to do so and for companies to allow us to do so. And so From a personal standpoint, what I am most affected by, I think, is this uh, notion that at the moment, especially, we are just to keep going as if we are not experiencing immense pressure and grief and uh, disbelief and, you know, many more hardships, even than I have named. And I think, in addition to that, this this mindset of individual versus community is, is really pervasive right now. We, we've built this culture of individual and there's it's one thing to know who you are and to live it authentically and another to say, I'm going to do me and I'm not going to worry about the rest. And, and I think that that has impacted me on a personal level, both positively and negatively, positively because I am so community oriented, I would never go that route, but negatively because sometimes people assign, a, assign a, a level of success to the person who is being so individualistic that it's at the expense of a community. And so that's hopefully said in a way that is understood. <laughs> um, do you, does that make sense, people? <laughs>
0: Uh, well, yeah, no, it, it makes it does make sense to me. Uh, yeah, yeah,
1: okay. Yeah.
0: And I would say professionally,
1: you know, I think I would also say there's there's positive and negative, right? Positive in that we are all making, uh, in an ideal world, and at least with my clients and in my experience, a, a little more room for the the personal elements of life, like my kid is behind me making noise. And that's because I am co-parenting at the same time as having this meeting. And from a negative standpoint, I can no longer separate my personal (laughs) life and my kid making noise behind me while I try to work. And that's just in in a Zoom and virtual setting, again, a place of privilege by comparison to some of the hardships being experienced elsewhere.
0: Sure. And uh, the truth is, I think that you are not the only person whose uh, child has made a cameo during a, a professional zoom call I well it's just my happy.
1: cat my cat makes a lot of cameos she's very loud and she's and uh, she's a feminist so she she pipes up when she wants to but I have many clients who are juggling many uh many things not the least of which is their children right. happening yeah. around them
0: <laughs> absolutely uh, do you have another couple of minutes or so Yes, I did sure. want to ask you something. Okay, great. Thank you. Uh, for those of you just turning in, tuning in, you're listening to KXSF LP in KXSF LP San Francisco. This is Pamela Bush, and the show is Fifth Wave Radio, Queerly Drinking. And my guest is Mariam Ahmed, who is the founder of Diversity and Wine Leadership Forum, as well as the owner of Mariam and Company. And But I I felt feel like I can't end this conversation without asking you this. So you're you, you found a diversity and wine leadership forum. And I look at the, the different organizations and you know, groups that in within the wine industry that are that really are have like thrown themselves into JEDI DEI issues, you know, diversity, equity, inclusion issues. It's mostly women. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, mm-hmm. it's, it is, I don't see a lot of men taking the initiative. That's not to say that there aren't any men There there are some, but I just don't see that many. And do you think it's because there are men and I'd say like, especially white men who feel like, well, this isn't really my area to do anything about. I just, I'd have a lot to learn. So I'm just going to sit back and try to learn and let other people lead. Do you think that that's what's going on? Uh, Do you think that it might also be that there's just apathy? Maybe a little bit of (laughs) both. Or, yeah, or even, I mean, or, Well, I think apathy. And then I would say also, and I think this is something that's very real misogyny too. I, and granted, so, and it could be, you know, I think all three of those things are on the table. Yeah, I do too. Yeah,
1: I do too. I think though the card most played is this is not a space I'm supposed to be in. So I, I'm going to stay where I'm comfortable and I'm I'm not going to do it. Um, You're right. White men have the furthest to travel most often. And that is uh, a hard lesson to learn when you haven't had to travel very far for for much. Um, Sorry, generalizing here, but illustrating as well. And I think that to the men who are doing the work they are seen, and there are many, many more men that aren't seen doing the work um, and, and doing it in a very powerful and impactful way that doesn't require spotlight. But I, yes, there is a pressure uh, around these organizations and, and leadership, and it does fall. It is falling to women. I think in defense of men, since I may have just upset quite a few of them, I will say that when when we're in social circles, generally speaking, we tend to go to the people we always go to to help with things like this. And you see a lot of fully women-run organizations happening because these women are picking up a mantle together with, with women whom they've already worked with or who they know can do it instead of potentially trying a new audience. We see this in recruiting a lot of the time as well. Well, I only get white applicants, but that's because you only recruit in white circles, right? So, in men's defense, that can happen, but that's about that's about as as much defense as I will give because there's plenty of room for support from from white men who are willing to do the work and willing to to take on the help that we need to make this happen.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I the i the forum I mentioned the show I did in December about sexism in the wine industry. Post me to two of the six guests were were cisgender heterosexual white men and they're, they're people who I've talked to on different occasions and I know that they are the people who we would call allies or accomplices uh, and yeah I do see that uh, that there are are men out there where their their feeling is I want to help I want to I understand that my privilege has it played a role in this and and I do want to be part of the solution. I, but I also see the other things that I mentioned too. And I think that what you said earlier is about like men who say, well, this isn't really my space. I think that it is just something that's very uncomfortable and it's a matter of being able to sit with that discomfort. Yeah. And, you know, right now, like as, as, as a white person, I sit with my discomfort. I have been, you know, at times made to feel extremely uncomfortable. And it's like, you know, that's like, that is just what you need to do. That's the reality. And I will, there'll be other times I will continue to be uncomfortable to different degrees at other times, like mm-hmm. just deal with it. Uh, and I, I think that it's, I just don't, I, I don't know how many men are really willing to, to be that to, to sit with their discomfort, especially because they're not that not, they're not used to it. We'll go right back to unlearning, yeah. you know, they've been,
1: they haven't, that is not something they've been taught.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, we have a lot of work to do, don't we?
1: We do. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, okay. So just as as a a parting question to you, because I appreciate all the time you've given, thanks so much for staying a few minutes over. Of course. What would you say to someone who, and not just necessarily in the wine industry, but in any industry who really is interested in doing, you know, JEDI work, justice, equity, diversity, inclusion, or or, or DEI work, it's also called, it's a little bit of a difference there. But what would you say to someone who who wants to get in and do this work? How how would Uh, you suggest like starting off?
1: Don't wait for someone to tell you you're ready to start. Uh, If you want to get into it, start getting into it. I would say very, very, you know, off the cuff, simple things are, First of all, what is how, how have you diversified what you read and consume in, in media? Who are the authors that you've read? Who are the social media accounts that you follow? Can they be diversified? Can they be diversified across the diversity um, spectrum? Can you attend a session that's available? Maybe the ACLU has something for you to attend. Maybe there's uh, someone who's hosting a seminar that you can attend on, on power and privilege Dr. Akila Kaday, change today. Um, You know, I, I think that's a really solid place to start. In addition to that, I highly recommend that someone think or, or consider who might be another person in their community that they can comfortably speak to about their discomfort and about their, their journey and learning because being able to have a conversation that's held um, safely and supported is important to this journey too. So finding someone who can be an ally to your allyship, and, and, and in an ideal world, you both are accomplices. Um, those are sort of simple first steps to toward, you know, figuring out what questions you still have to figure out the answer to. What are your biases? Sometimes you don't even realize you have them, and and understanding and learning your privilege, and then taking a look at what changes you can make kind of right off the bat that might impact the world, um, or
0: your world. Yeah. Well, great. Thank you so much. I really appreciate that. I think this is, you know, I should hope this has been helpful to those who have been listening today or, or hope that, you know, obviously whenever you're listening to anything, you should try to something out of it but it's I have, i've learned a, uh, a bit so thank you so much for being here uh for those of you tuning in this is pamela bush the show is fifth wave radio queerly drinking and my guest has been mariette ahmad of mariam and company and the diversity in wine leadership forum and again mariam if you could just give tell everybody what your website is if they want to get more information
1: yeah, thank you for having me Pamela. My website is mariamandcompany.com m a r y a m a n d c o m p a n y.com.
0: Great. Well, thank you so much and I'm sure we'll be talking soon. Thank you, Pamela. Okay. All right. Bye. Bye. And for those of you who are who've been listening in, I hope that you appreciated the last hour and nine minutes or so i think that, that was a that was a very interesting interview for me as the interview although i do find most people interesting uh but uh, there was i think you know mariam is doing great work and bringing together a lot of people who are also doing great work to have an exchange of ideas and that's often how things get accomplished so we'll be back in just a moment with some music